Um, we're just taking a little break from our Ephesians, uh, Galatians, keep calling it our Ephesians series, Galatians series till later in the summer. Uh, and we're going to look at the We Believe texts that go around the Nicene Creed. We are a people who are known as believers. Um, everyone believes in something. Uh, some people believe in anything. Um, our belief as Christ followers is a, is a particular belief. It's a narrow belief. It's belief in a person. Um, it's a belief that's defined by ideas that are unchanging. It's belief in a God who's made us for relationship with him, who's made himself known to us through his son, Jesus, who's brought us into life by his Holy Spirit. So in a, in a world and in a culture where anything and everything goes, we are believers. You can look around, nudge the person next to you if, if they are, and say we are believers. We can say that with the ancients, the early church. We are believers. We believe. And for us to say we believe as disciples, it's wrapped up in faith and obedience. To say we believe requires a response of my heart my mind, my emotions, my ambitions. We've been saying and singing this morning, everything we have, we give to you. They're not just nice words to sing in worship. When we see the overwhelming love of Jesus Christ for us on the cross, it demands a response from us. I can't just say, oh yeah, I believe. I believe in God, or was in the Pam movie, I do believe in fairies, I do. Just a kind of, I believe some kind of intellectual, I can believe in anything that way. I can believe there might be life on Mars. When I say I believe, in these truths about who God is, I, I'm calling my heart to a response of faith and obedience, uh, a decision, an act of the will uh, to follow this Christ with my whole life. It's not enough just to say with my mind, but we speak to our hearts, our bodies, our whole lives. For a disciple, belief is always allied with faith and obedience and action. May I hear an amen? So uh, on your seats, you should find a little card with what is called the Nicene Creed on it. If you haven't got one, then maybe share with someone next to you. We've got a little tower of cards built by our teenagers there. That's good. I'm going to see if I can blow that over as I wave my arms around. Um, so what I'd like to do, and if English isn't your first language, then feel free just to listen. But let's read this through slowly together, and then we'll begin the process of some unpacking. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate of the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. 
We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. So over these coming weeks, we're going to preach through some of the scriptures that inform this creed. I'm going to encourage you as well. I think it's good to try um, and memorize. So I, my, my target over the next few weeks, the next couple of months, is to memorize the Nicene Creed. Uh, please take the cards home with you if you want to stick them on the fridge or the back of the shower room door or wherever it is that you might spend most time and see them and just read it through. with your, If you've got kids, with your kids at the tea table, it's great seeing some of the smaller children trying to read their way through it this morning. What is this creed? I'll just give a little introduction before we unpack the first few lines this morning. Put most simply, the Nicene Creed is a, it's a declaration of our faith. It's a statement of what we believe. If you look in the dictionary at what the word creed means, it means a statement of basic beliefs of a religion. Uh, in our case, we're talking about a statement of beliefs for Christians. Um, it's a way for us not only to summarize what we believe, but also, I hope, to give us a confidence in communicating what we believe to anyone who wants to listen. Nicene was produced um, after a church council, a gathering of church leaders and scholars uh, back in uh, 325 AD in a place where you'd love to be on a sun lounger right now in Iznik in Turkey. Uh, they called it Nicaea at the time because it's Nicaea, I guess. Um, that just came to me at the moment. That was good. Um, and it probably still is. Um, and it, at that time, the identity of Jesus was at stake. People were asking big questions. Who is Jesus. Uh, in 381, the Nicene Creed, in the form we now have, it was updated. So just 50 years or so later uh, in Istanbul, we still call it the Nicene Creed, even though the final draft was written in Istanbul. It's not Constantinople, it's Istanbul. Um, and and this, this, these creeds, and this was one of a number, were written to, um, uh, to help uh, churches and believers combat, fight against wrong ideas. Uh, particularly at this time, wrong ideas about Jesus, as we've said. Was he created uh, from God? Uh, was he just a man that God came upon in his power and used in, in some way? What was the relationship of Jesus to the Father? And so the creeds were grappled with by scholars to uh, help us form some core beliefs that Jesus is fully God with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And th these questions that people were grappling with in 300 AD are not really all that different to the questions people have about Jesus today all over the, the world. They're the kind of questions that you might get into a conversation about with your agnostic neighbor or work colleague, uh, or maybe at, certainly if you were talking at the front door uh, with a Jehovah's Witness or speaking in town with, with someone from a Mormon background, you would definitely address these kinds of questions about the identity of Jesus. And beloved, as believers in Christ, we can have firm and confident answers. We don't have to be a little bit unsure or a little bit blurry. Um, the Bible speaks today, as it has done consistently down through the generations, about who Jesus is uh, in order to help us inwardly in our confidence and outwardly in our gospel. And so we're just going to teach from the scriptures through each section of the creed, uh, some of these truths that have been believed by disciples from the beginning. And actually, we need to hear this in 21st century Crawley. These are still mainstream beliefs for most people around most of the world today in most cultures. These questions about who is God and how he's made himself known and how we're able to relate to him. They're, are, they're questions for which the answers are revealed in the scriptures. The scriptures are where we're always going to go to for the big 
question, the answers to big questions. In fact, if you're wondering this morning what do Christians believe, probably the question before that is how do Christians come to their beliefs? Uh, and the Word of God is how we come to our beliefs. The Word of God is informing, illuminating, always leading us back to God, always leading us into praise and to worship of Jesus Christ. If you've come from a, a kind of uh, a non-white um, British background, uh, you may well already be very familiar with the creed, certainly if you're one of our Russian or Romanian uh, speakers. Uh, we have a number here as a part of this fellowship. We're so happy that you choose to worship with us, though it's difficult at times with language and culture uh, issues. Uh, but if you've come with any kind of Orthodox church background, you will have uh, grown up knowing uh, the creed. You'll recognize it if you're one of our Spanish speakers or Portuguese or South American uh, from, from a South American background. Um, if you've had any kind of Catholic upbringing, you'll recognize the creed. In fact, if you come from a high Anglican background, and some of you will do here, you'll recognize these words. Uh, there are probably two reasons why we feel it's important to teach this stuff through and even to try and memorize and get some of the rhythms and truths into us. First of all, the most important thing we can do here as a church is help one another grow into maturity as disciples of Jesus Christ. Discipleship is the main thing. Uh, and becoming strong disciples of Jesus means we believe the right things. Uh, if we believe the right things, we start behaving in the right ways. Uh, and what we believe is rooted in the scriptures, as we've said. And so the creeds give us some language for what we believe. They give us some tools to go to. Now, if you're anything like me, you've probably been in those kind of conversations with your small group, or maybe with one of your children, where something's been said and you think, I, I think that's probably heresy. <laughs> I think, probably rather than having a cup of tea and a bit of cake at small group, in the Middle Ages, you would have been stoned for that. <laughs> but now, I'm not quite sure how to explain that. Uh, I feel a bit wobbly on that. Or maybe if you're white British, you think, oh, I know that's heresy, but I'm a little bit embarrassed to confront that. Um, the creeds give us some language. They help us to speak into the truths about Jesus. They give us some familiarity with some pretty... What can sometimes be, on the face of it, some difficult doctrines. And so we do want to try and incorporate these truths into the life of the church and to see us built up and strengthened as worshippers, not just blown around by every wind of doctrine. Secondly, we want to be equipped outwardly as well. We've recognized we're in a world culture where absolutely anything goes, where if you say you're one of those fundamentalist kind of Christians, and we wouldn't even use that word because it's loaded now, where you would be mocked. Um, we live in an era where truths that we thought were mainstream seem to have shifted so quickly. Um, we can, brothers and sisters, equip one another as disciples to stand on doctrines. We don't need to be uncertain or unsure. We certainly don't need to be embarrassed around some of our non-Christian friends, family members, work colleagues. These truths that we've read out together this morning are historic truths. They have been agreed on by believers and cultures all over the world for 2,000 years. Um, we may at times feel that we are at odds with our culture here in the UK now. In fact, increasingly in the UK, as Bible-believing Christians, we are going to find we are more and more at odds with our culture. Um, but, um, if, but we are in step with history, and we're in step with the scriptures. Uh, and so in that regard, actually, we recognize that it's our culture that's come out of step. It's, we can feel like we're the ones that have been pulled somewhere. Actually, now our culture has moved off to the left or to the right. I don't mean those terms politically. Uh, but we remain in step with the revealed truths about who God is. So these creeds will help us in our mission to 
to understand some unchanging truths and to communicate them to a world that doesn't want to know God and doesn't want to know the scriptures. These ancient creeds were formed by these early church fathers in an age when all the same doctrines were under threat and under attack, where Jesus was undermined, where the gospel had little value, and they were written not just to strengthen the church and to call her back to agreed foundations, but to help the church to engage wisely and confidently um, with a pagan culture, with the gospel. I think the same purpose remains true for us today, increasingly in 21st century Crawley. So we're just going to preach through a section each time. We're going to try and be a little bit shorter, although I'm not going to be much shorter today because I've done an introduction, and I think that counts. Um, and uh, we're, we're going to try a little experiment over the weeks with some, uh, some, some question and answer uh, uh, approaches just to try and help us get some application for this into us. As I say, please take the cards home, read them, use them, share them around. So for today, just this first section, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. Just this uh, statement, we believe in one God. If, if you've grown up from a, a Jewish background, um, this would be something that you would say uh, a big amen to. De- Deuteronomy 6.4, uh, every Orthodox Jew would know these words. Hear, O Israel, uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's a confession that's still made by Orthodox Jews today, still recited daily. Um, it was a revelation about who God is that was first given to the people of uh, God in the wilderness. Moses had, uh, had come with the stone tablets, the Ten Commandments. He was proclaiming the laws to God's people for how they were to, uh, what they were to learn and what they were to live by. And in that context, he taught them that the Lord, the God, the Lord their God is one. He was speaking to a people who were literally surrounded on every side by nations who had many gods. Um, and into this context, the true God reveals himself as one. He's not a part of a pantheon of gods, a pick and mix, like you might still see today from a, from a Hindu background. Um, no, this one God is the one true soul object of their worship and their obedience. He's not a God to be shared with others. He's... Uh, Israel's history shows in times of prosperity, when things were going well, they kind of leant back on their own strength and they would pick a mix from all kinds of other gods from the nations. Their history shows too that when times got tough and they were under pressure, instead of going after the one true God, they would again lean into other gods of their nations and give themselves to them. That's the sad story if you read through the Old Testament of, uh, of Israel's worship and belief and unbelief, this cycle they go through. But the Lord, the God, the God is one. He's the one object of their worship, their allegiance and their affection. So it's really important for us to understand that, but it's important we understand as well, not just that there is one God, but that God himself is one. Um, we're going to look in the coming weeks at God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I said to Tony when he prayed this morning, where's Tony gone? Has he gone out? Oh, he's there. Hello, Tony. When Tony prayed, he prayed a great prayer in 30 seconds. He kind of summarized my sermon this morning and taught really well on the Trinity. I don't know if you remember Tony's prayer. I don't know if you could remember it now, Tony, but it was amazing. Uh, and we're going to teach on the Father, Son, and Spirit. We're going to see that each of these three persons is fully God. And we're going to worship this God who is three in one, as he's revealed by the scriptures. But we're recognizing that the Lord is one. That's what the Bible affirms, that God is three persons, that each of the three persons of the Trinity are God, and that God is one. 
The Bible expects us somehow to hold those three things together in our heads and in our hearts. Orthodox Christianity says, yes, that is true. We say amen to that. The Apostle Paul, later on in the New Testament, Ephesians 4, 6, affirms these truths. Uh, There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul teaches as well to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 8, again into their pagan Roman Greek Roman culture, loads of gods, all kinds of gods and idols you would have in your home. And Paul's teaching into uh, the question, can we as Christians now, who've come away from that to the one true God, can we eat food that's been bought at the market, that's been dedicated to these idols? And and Paul's talking about that. He says, even if there are so-called gods with a small g, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came, and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. So there's this foundational idea in the scriptures that we adhere to. One God, Father, Son, and Spirit, right at the center of our worship and our message. Friends, it's what we believe by faith. It's this mystery of a God who, who lives in it, who has lived and continues to live and will live forever in eternal Um, loving relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit, a love that overflowed into the creation of all things, a love into which we are invited to join as disciples. John 13, 20, Jesus says to us, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. We're invited into this mystery that we'll understand more of as we move through the weeks ahead. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty. Let's look at the Father first and then we'll move to um, Almighty. The Father is how this one God has chosen to reveal himself through the Scriptures. Again, I mentioned just now 1 Corinthians 8, 5. If you've got your Bible open, you might just want to keep your thumb in there. We'll come back to 1 Corinthians 8, 5 and 6. Uh, It's a bit of a a text for all of these points. Um, Paul says he's one God, the Father. And God, we see again through the big story of the Bible, has fathered a people for himself. Um, He began with Abraham. He pulled Abraham out from Abraham's human father's house um, and began with the line of Abraham to produce for himself a family. Uh, We see the same with Moses, who led God's people like a father, representing God. David, who shepherded God's people after God's heart. He's a God who, from the beginning, created men and women in his image, you and me for the praise of his glory. He's a God who calls us his children. He protects us. He provides for us. He feeds us. He clothes us. He defends us. He fights for us. He disciplines us. He forgives us. He restores us, rewards us. Um, He nurtures us. He matures us. This is what a father does, all these things. And he does it perfectly. He's a good father. Uh, In some ways, he's like a human father. It's a really good analogy. In other ways, he's not like a human father. He's not like me as a dad of three. He's a perfect father. I'm an imperfect father. I've done none of those things perfectly. This this image of God as father is supposed to convey to us a real security. It's supposed to flood our hearts with compassion and care, show us something of God's commitment. I don't know, for some of you, it will produce the opposite when you hear God as father because you've had a, a bad experience of an imperfect earthly father. As we look through these scriptures, you're going to meet the father you have never known, the father who who performs this fatherly care with perfection over us 
as beloved children that he'll never harm and that he'll never let go of. Please let me hear an amen to that. Yeah. And Jesus makes God known to us in, in that way. Uh, Matthew 6, 9, when he's teaching his disciples how to pray, he says, Our Father, again, the Aramaic word, the language Jesus used, Abba, Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, Jesus shows us, he opens our eyes to this awesome God, this God who's led his people, who's brought them into himself. He, Jesus shows us we can come to him with confidence, with freedom, with a welcome, with all the intimacy of a family relationship. This, this father wants us to cry out to him just as Jesus does. Where Jesus cries out, Abba, Father, our heavenly father wants us to cry in the same way. Romans 8 is full of these wonderful truths where it says God has poured his love into our hearts by his spirit. We too can cry, Abba, Father, Father, dear Father. In fact, the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of adoption in Romans 8. It's the spirit of adoption because he brings us into a place of knowing that God is now our Father and floods our hearts with that love and security. In fact, even in speaking about the Trinity and about God the Father, we can't speak about him without also speaking about Jesus the Son making the way for us to come to the Father and the Holy Spirit opening up our hearts to worship. This is a triune God and we worship him together. So we believe in God the Father, one God, the Father, the Almighty. I love um, Exodus 6.3. Um, it says, God appears to Moses. I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. God Almighty, Genesis 17.1. Abraham, he's still Abraham at this point. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. If I was going to appear before a 99-year-old man as God, I might reveal myself in a gentle whisper. (laughs) But he comes and says, I'm the Lord God Almighty. He comes with thunder. He reveals himself. El Shaddai is the Hebrew phrase that's used there. It's, it's the most frequently used name to describe God through the Bible. There are loads of ways and names, uh, ways of describing God and names to describe the characteristics and the nature of God through the Bible. But primarily, we bow before him as God Almighty. That's why we worship. In the ancient languages, when, when uh, this El Shaddai was first revealed to God's people, they would have understood to an extent that this is the God who thunders, the God who speaks through thunder, the God of the mountaintops. This is the God who is perfect in his strength and his power. This is the God above all other gods. This is the God for whom it's impossible for anyone or anything to ever prevent him from accomplishing any of his ways or purposes. And so Psalm 115.3 tells us, Our God Almighty, our El Shaddai is in heaven. He does what he pleases. That's pretty good, isn't it? You can't stop him. You can't thwart him. Again, we live in a church culture. We've just been speaking about it a moment ago, rightly teaching that God is our Father, that he has a wonderful, soft Father heart towards us. We learn the other side of that coin, this, this beautiful identity that we have as securely, dearly loved children of God. All those things are true. But we need to remember, he is El Shaddai. He is God Almighty. He holds both aspects of his character and nature together perfectly. And so do the scriptures. 2 Corinthians 6.18, Paul is using the Old Testament prophets and says of God, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. 
There you go. Uh, you'll be my sons and daughters. I'll be a father to you. Oh, what wonderful, tender revelation of who God is. Says the Lord God Almighty. Whoa, get on your faces. He's amazing. He's awesome. He's the God above all other gods. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. Genesis 1.1, the start of the story, as far as it's revealed to us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Again, 1 Corinthians 8, where we've spent a few minutes this morning. Bless you. Uh, And verse 6, for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. How is the might, the almightiness of God, best seen? It's best seen in creation. Um, When you observe worship through the scriptures, it's full of references to the might of God in creation. He's the God who made everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's a creator God that flung the stars out into space. Um, Psalm 8, when I consider your heavens and the works of your hands to God, what is man that you're mindful of him? He's the God who made the living creatures who are right now in heaven uh, worshipping Jesus on his throne. He's the God who raised up the mountains. He's the God who filled the seas with all that's in them. He's the God that, that, that created and completed that special work of creation by breathing life into mankind, his pinnacle of creation. This maker, this craftsman God, this God who's good with his hands, he's worthy of our worship. How do we know that he is almighty? How is this best seen? Well, look around. He made everything, and it's very, very good. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, One God, the Father from whom all things came, and for whom we live. So this is the gospel. This is about... This is good news about God. Um, this is, we're at the center of his creation. God himself as the mighty God is the object of our worship. We were in, Kaz uh, were in Covent Garden yesterday. I overheard a lady um, talking to some friends, Australian lady, took a stone out of her pocket and was saying, when I'm afraid and anxious, I hold the stone, I speak to the stone, the stone brings me peace. Uh, the vibrations of the stone We've, we've said we live in an era where anything goes. We follow all kinds of idols. Hey, there's some wonderful things in nature. I like lovely, smooth stones. Um, but none of them are the creator God. None of them are God Almighty, the maker. We don't worship the creation. We don't worship the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, the animals, the stones in our pockets. Even if they do vibrate, they point us to the one who is the mighty God above all gods. They point us to the father of us all, God himself the maker of heaven and earth. That's what Christians believe. When your Reiki-healing, crystal-waving friend at work says to you, oh, we kind of follow the same God, the God of light, you can say, no, we don't. I don't worship creation. I worship the creator. You can use the creed there. Um, He's the God of all things seen and unseen. Briefly, what does that mean? Things we can't see, things we haven't yet discovered, the, the creatures at the bottom of the deepest ocean, that look bizarre, that are only just beginning to be found by men like David Attenborough, the farthest reaches of space and time. It may be that we're about to put men on Mars at some point. Yeah, it does mean, in terms of things seen unseen, these kinds of places. There's nothing yet to be discovered in the entire universe which has not been designed, which has not been put there by the mighty hand of God, the maker. We worship him for that. But it means more than that as well. Um, when you look in uh, uh, one, uh, Colossians 1, and actually they're speaking about Jesus, and we'll talk about how Jesus also is, is called the creator of all things. 
But it, it speaks there about uh, things seen and unseen, visible and invisible, uh, with regard to heaven and earth, to thrones, to powers, to rulers and authorities. Um, the created universe is completely God's. Every part of it we could possibly divide up in any way has been made by him and for him. So thrones and powers, every ruler, every king, every president, every politician, every leader is subject to God's almighty hand. Wow. He raises them up. He brings them down. Emperor Nero in Paul's day, Mao Zedong, Stalin, Hitler. I'll pause there because I was going to say Theresa May and I didn't want them to be in the same sentence. President Trump, Putin. God raises them up. God uses them to perform his purposes in the earth. They come, they go, they rise, they fall. Nebuchadnezzar, God's done it all with all of them down through the years. He has been and he always will be the God Almighty. Rulers and powers, thrones and powers, rulers and authorities also speaks about the spiritual, the supernatural world. Yeah, we're talking about angels. We believe in those and demons. The incredible living creatures I mentioned in passing a moment ago that are right now in the present heaven leading worship. All these unseen realms have been made by Almighty God for his glory and he has authority over all of them and all of it. So beloved who follow Jesus Christ under pressure, however powerful and unrestrained Satan and his demonic forces may seem at times in our world and in and around our lives, whatever spiritual oppression we may face and battle through and go to war with as believers uh, or in our churches, God Almighty is Lord over all of this unseen realm. Ultimately, everything must bow to his authority. Hallelujah. If, if you're still not sure what seen and unseen covers, Paul sums it up, and I'll finish here. Romans 8, 38, 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. Please stand with me. Lord Jesus, we tell you, we come to you, Father, Son, and Spirit, and we say we believe in you. I thank you for Justin's testimony this morning of, of faith that led to action and obedience. We believe in this God who reveals himself. We respond to you now. One God, loving, caring, Father. You love us as you love your Son, Jesus. You've poured your love into our hearts by your Spirit. Lord, we tell you we believe in you today and we receive you afresh today. Again, maybe there are just one or two here. They heard Justin as they've heard this message that are saying, I, I want to follow you, Jesus. If that's you, please come and find us in a moment. We'd love to pray with you. We worship you, almighty God. We're in awe of you. Let's just lift our hands. If you are standing before an awesome ruler this morning, I think we'd either be on our faces or we'd lift our hands in supplication to him. You can't be stopped in your purposes. You're going to fill the earth with the good news about Jesus. And then you're coming back to restore everything. You've made everything. It's all through you. It's all for your glory. We worship you with everything we have. We worship your beauty, your majesty, your creativity. We thank you this morning, even in times of shaking, that you have authority over all things, things yet to be discovered. Your hand over good leaders, your hand over terrible ones. We thank you that you rule over history. We thank you that you have authority over every demonic power that troubles our lives. You have authority over Satan himself. You've even taken authority over the ultimate enemy of death, 
which you triumphed over through your death and resurrection on the cross, Jesus. God, God of the angel armies, we worship you this morning. We believe in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Just express in your own words for a moment your praise and thanks to God. Oh, thank you, God. We worship you. We love you. Oh, we love you, God. We respond to you.